Before I get to my next guest, John Cook, I want to give a shout out to our friends over at Strixon Cleveland Golf. Your best performance starts with the right golf ball at Strixon. A global leader in golf ball technology and innovation, Strixon offers a wide variety of award-winning golf balls for golfers of every skill level. Whether you're searching for a tour performance golf ball or a distance golf ball with incredible feel, Strixon provides the best golf balls at incredible prices. Strixon offers a wide variety of personalized options while also developing a highly visible colored golf ball as well. Select the right golf ball for your game today and trust it with Strixon. Check them out online at Strixon.com. S-R-I-X-O-N.com. Find the right golf ball for your game today. I also want to remind you about our friends over at Sun Mountain. There's a company nestled in the Valley of Missoula, Montana, that embodies the essence of quality, function, and innovation, and that's Sun Mountain, which started building golf bags back in 1981. They are an industry leader in golf bags, travel covers, outerwear, and push carts. With flagship products that you've come to know, like the C-130 cart bag, the 2.5 ultralight stand bag, the club glider travel cover, the speed cart, and Rainflex rain gear. Sun Mountain continues its quest to provide the very best in golf products to every range of golfer. Visit them online at sunmountaingolf.com to look at their amazing products. Okay, now back with me is Champions Tour Pro and Sirius XM radio host, John Cook. Let me remind you about John's background. He's from Toledo, Ohio, but grew up in Southern California. He went back and played his college golf at Ohio State, where he was a three-time All-American. He helped them win three consecutive Big Ten titles from 1977 to 1979 and the 1979 National Championship. John won six individual titles while he was there at Ohio State. He also won the Les Bolstead Award for the lowest stroke average in the conference each year from 1977 to 1979, and he was inducted into the Ohio State Hall of Fame in 1986. John won the U.S. Amateur Championship in 1978 and finished second to Marco Mira in 79. He also won several amateur championships, including the California State Am in 1975 and the Ohio Amateur in 1978 and 79. He turned pro later on that year in 79, got his first win on the PGA Tour in 1981 at the Bing Crosby National Pro-Am by beating Hale Irwin, Bobby Clampett, Ben Crenshaw, and Barney Thompson in a playoff. He won again in 1983 at the Canadian Open, this time beating Johnny Miller in a playoff. In all, John won 11 times on the PGA Tour and 10 more times out on the Champions Tour. He has seven top 10 finishes in majors. He was named the 1992 PGA Tour Comeback Player of the Year. In 2013, he was inducted into the Southern California Golf Association's Hall of Fame. And I am very excited. He is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Cookie, how are you? I'm good, Chris. How are you? I feel the pressure following Rob there. Of course. That's a tough act to follow, my friend. That ain't easy. <laughs> yes, it is. No, it's not. He was uh, very entertaining. As always. John, I want to start out by going back when you first joined the PGA Tour. Celebrities were big hosts of many tournaments. We had the Bing Crosby National Pro-Am, the Glen Campbell LA Open, the Jackie Gleason Inverary Classic. Sammy Davis Jr. was the host at the Greater Hartford Open, and there were several others. Did you get to know those guys and go out there and play golf with them when you were out there for those events? Uh, actually, I didn't get to play with uh, any of the uh, actual uh, names of the tournament um, hosts, but certainly played in all of them. 
especially on the West Coast. We had uh, Glenn Campbell, who I didn't play with in that particular tournament, but I played with him a couple times. Um, of course, Bing Crosby, you know, Pebble Beach Pro-Am. You had the Bob Hope, played with Bob Hope a couple of times. Um, Andy Williams had the San Diego Open. Joe Garagiola had Tucson. I mean, it was it was a different era for sure, and it was a lot of fun to be around when, uh, you know, those big stars were, were out supporting the game of golf. It was really a, a good, a, a great era to grow up in. Did you get to spend time with them like after a tournament, maybe after a round or before or after a golf tournament? I, I just sort of wondering as you guys, you know, finish up a round of golf and you're in one of these celebrity sponsored events or hosted events, being able to have a drink, sit down and just listen to their story. Well, a couple of times, you know, my, my, uh, Amateur partner at the Crosby there for a number of years was uh, James Garner, Jim Garner, the great actor. Uh, so we did sp- spend quite a bit of time together and played a few more times at Bel Air, his home course. So got some, you know, time to spend with, with him and, um, you know, just other kind of people down the road that really enjoyed the game of golf. A lot of, a lot of athletes, a lot of, you know, baseball players, basketball players, um, played a little bit uh, with Jerry West when I was, young and in high school um which was all was was fascinating and then of course uh spent a lot of time around uh, eddie van halen who had taken up the game and played a lot of golf with him and and we talked you know we talked music we talked golf we talked life it was a lot of fun and you know just kind of when you get to mix and mingle you know different genres and different uh, professions uh it's fascinating really is what was eddie's game like you know, Ed took it serious. He um he he started kind of late in life, and he took it. I mean, the first time the, my wife and I went and saw a show was in 1993 up at uh, um up in San Francisco, and a friend of mine had gotten us some tickets and some backstage passes. So we went back after uh, the show, and you know, it was an amazing show. Obviously, and we were always been, been big fans. So to get backstage and just say hello, well. Ed had just started playing golf and he, all he wanted to talk about was his golf swing and his golf game. And all we wanted to talk about was what a great show it was and how much fun we had. And, um, <laughs> he, he got into it pretty big time. So we played, uh, Lakeside a few times together. He was a member there. And then whenever they were out on tour, it seemed like for a couple of years, PGA tour and their, um, you know, world tour, we all kind of coincided. So. Uh, we got to spend a lot of time. He he was great to my family, great to my friends. Um, had him out to Isleworth a couple of times to play, and uh, it was just he just uh, he he was he's such an I mean he's so great at what he did, and he wanted to be good at what you know in the game of golf. He wanted to know everything, and you know he didn't read music, so he just played guitar. And in golf, he just wanted to play golf. He didn't want to know about the swing or anything. He just wanted to play golf, so uh, he took golf uh, just like he took up you know, took guitar. Just didn't just you know played by feel. John, switching gears as we look ahead to this week's Masters tournament. Am I correct in saying 1979 was your first Masters tournament? It was. I was an amateur. I played uh, as a U.S. amateur champion from 1978. Uh, so um, I did. I played as an amateur. My my pairing was uh, Gary Player in the first round. What was that like? I, I knew Gary a, a little bit. Uh, his son Wayne had played some uh, uh, amateur events 
in the U.S. the previous couple of years. So had gotten to know Wayne a little bit um, and then got to know Gary a, a little bit. So uh, I, I didn't just meet him on the first tee. I, I had met him before. So I was quite comfortable. He was great. Uh, he was very accommodating. He was a great gentleman. Uh, he had won the previous year, so it wasn't like, uh, you know, he wasn't competitive at all. So, uh, I remember it was uh, a wonderful, it was a wonderful, uh, experience. I played my practice rounds with, uh, Ken Venturi, uh, Tom Weiskopf and Ed Sneed. Uh, so it was uh, quite a, quite a learning experience from, from especially Kenny and Tom. And then Ed Sneed went on and actually had a really good chance to win. Uh, he got beaten the playoff that year, uh, with Fuzzy Zeller. So, uh, it was, uh, you know, just great being around it. And John, as the amateur champion, I know that you know that the invitation to play in the Masters is coming. But what was it like when you go to the mailbox and that invitation sitting in there? It was there. It was there. It was it was quite a thrill. That is for sure. It uh, went to my mom and dad's house uh, there in Columbus. I was I was still in school. Um, so when that uh, when that invitation actually arrived. It was uh, it was just amazing. Uh, I, you know you're going, and you know everything about it. But when you get that invitation, and it's for real, uh, it was you know just amazing. The the whole week was amazing to me. The the experience, and you know how the the Masters Committee uh, treated the amateurs. They 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 really really wanted an amateur to do well and to win. And we were quite representative. We had you know Bobby Clampett, myself. Uh, Scott Hope was playing. I mean, it, it was, uh, we were well represented. I think all of us made the cut. Um, so, um, it, it was, it was a great, uh, I, I remember a lot about it. Um, Bobby Jones had already passed and, and, um, uh, Clifford Roberts had passed. So I think Bill Lane might have been the uh, chairman at that time. Uh, but they, uh, they hosted a great amateur dinner. It was, uh, just a, a great experience. Did you guys all stay up in the crow's nest? I did one night. Uh, I did the night I arrived. I arrived on a Saturday night, um, and I stayed in the crow's nest. Bobby Clampett and I stayed together, and then uh, my family had rented a house, so I ended up staying at uh, at, at the house uh, starting on Sunday as I was playing, you know, practice rounds, the par three, and um, I just wanted to be with uh, family and my my uh, my newly engaged actually still married to this day but uh i had just proposed to my my wife jan uh the weekend before so it was pretty fun for all of us that'll never know the feeling and you and you've done this several times but what's it like turning off washington road and driving up magnolia lane (laughs) it was i mean it was something that you i mean you had seen on television you'd heard about it so when you're actually in the car and driving up there and it's real, it, it was real. I had never been on the property until, you know, that time. And, you know, just looking, you know, you know, on one side of Magnolia Lane and then the other, that's where the tournament practice area was uh, on both sides of Magnolia Lane back in those days. So, um, I mean, you could see the tournament practice area, then you, you, you go up a little bit further and you see the clubhouse, you see the iconic, uh, United States with the, you know, the Augusta colors and, and the flag. And it, it just, uh, it was really surreal. I mean, I remember it like it was yesterday. It just, uh, was something I'll never forget. 
Where does that tournament rank for you amongst your favorite events to play? Well, I'll tell you, to be quite honest, I, I love the event maybe more than it loved me. That is for sure. I, <laughs> I, I, I wanted to know everything about it. I wanted, you know, my practice rounds, the first times around there were, you know, like I said, with Ken, Tom Weiskopf, and I learned so much. And throughout the years, I always felt that my game was peaking just at the right time. I thought my game fit Augusta. I was a good putter. I was a good ball striker. I could drive it, you know, long enough, but I could turn the ball. I could use slope. And I, I promise you, I was so geeked to play every single year that by the time Thursday came around, I had practiced and prepared myself right out of form. And I just, I, I couldn't quite get it done. My record around there is just abysmal. Um, except for 87, I led after the first round and I think I was tied after the second round. Um, and then, you know, I still had a chance going into Sunday. Uh, but other than that, honestly, I mean, I made some cuts. I missed a bunch of cuts by a shot. I never contended and I don't know why. I think I just, uh, um, I don't, I, it just, I over, I over prepared myself. And by the time Thursday came along, I was, I was spent. You can't you can't go around Augusta National with no brain, and I I kind of I would lose my brain between Wednesday and Thursday. <laughs> John, as we've talked in the past, you've worked with Patrick Cantlay. He had such a great year in twenty one, winning four times, including the Tour Championship and being named Player of the Year. But it feels like he's already being overlooked this week. How do you feel about you know, Patrick's opportunity to win this Masters? You know, it's funny you asked that. I, just a little while ago, I was I was uh, messaging back and forth with, you know, his coach Jamie Mulligan, who's a great friend of mine, and you know, my eyes, and we've helped uh, Patrick and Luke List actually is also playing one of our guys. But I was I was telling Jamie, I go, doesn't it feel like Patrick's kind of under the for for the Player of the Year to be under the radar going into the Masters? He's as under the radar as you could be. And I went, I think that's good for him. And Jamie went, absolutely. <laughs> so I think, I think Patrick is in a good spot. He's had a really nice, uh, start to the year, um, after taking all of the fall and, and winter off. Uh, he came back very, very strong and is, you know, kind of playing himself, playing himself into form. He didn't have a very good players, but he kind of got caught on the, on the wrong side of the draw. Um, but uh, I, I I see Patrick having a good week. He loves Augusta. He's learning more. Uh, he knows now, you know exactly what you need to do around there, and that's not overshape the ball. It's to use slope, um, to control you know the the shape of your golf shots to go in properly. He's a phenomenal putter. Great short game. Drives it forever. Uh, his game fits around there. John, I remember Mr. Palmer saying of. Jack Nicholas was win in 86 at the age of 46 that he thought a player at 56, which is how old Mr. Palmer was at the time, could still win a golf tournament. You just have to get it all together one time, he said. And we saw Phil win yeah. the, the PGA at 50 last year. And most people don't know that Sam Snead finished third in the 74 PGA three back at Lee Trevino when Mr. Snead was 60 years old. And we all know Tom Watson nearly won an open championship at 59 with how fit the players are today. Could we see more of the guys that are out there playing on tour now contending at 55 or 60 years old? 
I think if, if they, they, they kept their length, like a Retief Goosen or an Ernie Els, uh, Phil, of course, um, I think those players that have kept their length, uh, could certainly contend around there. Fred, you know, Fred's in his sixties now. He still has adequate length. Um, he just doesn't play a lot anymore. So I'm not sure how sharp he is as far as, you know, his competitiveness goes, but he certainly played well into his fifties around Augusta because he knew what to do. He, 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 he knows how to use slope. He has a great imagination. Hit the correct shots, you know, cuts, fades, um, little dinky draws, whatever needs to be done. And he's kept his length. So if you get a guy like a Ratif Goosen, um, and Ernie Ells, if they ever got, you know, back and eligible to play, yeah, they could probably do that. Bernhard is as great as he is, uh, just doesn't have the length to, uh, contend, uh, possibly, you know, make the cut. I mean, at 64 years old, I mean, that would be quite a feat. But uh, if you've kept your length and you've kept your flexibility and mobility, I think that uh, there's no reason that, you know, someone in their 50s can't uh, contend. John, just a couple more before I let you go. And I was looking back at the 1990 Las Vegas Invitational. You finished tied at the end of regulation, if you were, at the end of 72 holes with Bob Tway. The two of you go into a playoff. And it was one of the craziest finishes in a playoff <laughs> I've ever seen. I mean, you nearly won the thing and then you lost it in unbelievable fashion. Talk about what happened yeah. on the first sudden death hole. It's crazy. It really is. So, uh, first playoff hole, uh, forget what hole it was, but I, I, I think I hit first and I tugged my tee shot just in the left rough, but I was like stymied by a tree. Um, uh, Bob hit his tee shot down the middle. I pitched mine out. He hit his shot. You know, not a very good shot. He hit it on there about 40 feet from the hole. And I said, well, if I get this up and down, I think we could probably go and, you know, get into another hole in the playoff. And I flew my wedge shot into the hole and it backed up down off the green, down this hill into a horrible lie in the rough. Um, and I didn't, I didn't make that. So I ended up making a bogey and Bob two putted for par. So. I went from, you know, maybe holding the shot to win to uh, shaking hands and walking off. I'm, you know, <laughs> dis- disgusted with what happened. <laughs> did you see it fly into the hole? I did. Yeah, I knew it was going. I knew it was going to be close, and I, I, I thought to myself, I said, just don't hit the flagstick. And sure enough, it flew in the hole and uh, came out and up the flagstick. It had so much spin on it; it just was out of control. John, the U.S. Amateur used to be a major. It was back in the day of Bobby Jones when he played. It was a major. I still think it should be a major. For all of the talk about the players being the fifth major, I think it should be the U.S. Amateur for the grind you go through in order to win it. You won it once, nearly a second time the following year. Talk about what it's like to make your way through all of the rounds you have to go through in order to win that championship. Yeah, it's it's an amazing event. Um I, I qualified when I was 16, uh, to play at Ridgewood in New Jersey, uh, where it is actually this year again. So it'll be nice to get back there. But, um, it just, it was one of those, one of those weeks that, I mean, you knew you had to have stamina number one. Your game had to be in tip top shape. Uh, you know, at match play, you still, I, I always approach match play 
a lot like metal play until I needed to play match play. I wanted to beat the golf course. So I was, I was training to beat the golf course. So that run in 78, I had, uh, I played as good a golf as I could possibly play. Um, and you know, got all the way through beating Scott Hoke in the final. And then the next year, there was two rounds of metal play and I played very well. I think I was maybe third or fourth metal. And then, um, you know, got into the match play again. And I'll tell you the, the grind that we had. I, my matches, I beat Robert Wren, tour player in the first round. I beat Wayne Player, who was very competitive on the, the amateur circuit that summer. Then I beat Lenny Clements, tour player, um, in 26 holes. And then in the wow. afternoon, I beat Gary Hallberg, tour player, <laughs> um, in the, in the quarters. Then I beat, uh, Cecil Ingram in the semis and then, I had no gas in the tank left against Mark, <laughs> who, of course, you know, a Hall of Famer. So uh, talk about the grind. I mean, you look down the, the, the field list for the U.S. Amateur, and you either see, you know, players that, you know, are, are going to be superstars, or in our case, if you went through the 78 field and the 79 field, um, there's Hall of Famers, there's tour players, you know, m- major championship winners. Um, and that, that, that's what you're up against in the U.S. Amateur. John, my next guest is Keith Stewart, a guy you played a little bit of golf with back in the day. He's got a John Cook titleist putter that you gave him all the way back in 2000. I wanted to remind you of that and see if you remember playing a little bit of golf with Keith. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I remember uh, it, was a, uh, it was my backup that Scotty had made me uh, of an old Coronado um, model, and it was stainless steel. So it it wasn't, uh, you know, it, it was a kind of a, a a different kind of model head. And I still have the original one um, that I have, and every once in a while I'll mess around with. But the one that he has, yeah, was was my backup, and I didn't need it anymore. So I knew that the one that I had in my bag wasn't going to go anywhere. So I just, I, I let him have it. <laughs> I go. saw a picture of it the other day that you sent. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. What a treasure that's got to be. John, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come back and be a part of the show. Let our listeners know how they can stay up to date, see you and where you're going to be and then follow you on social media. Yeah, that's great. Uh, so I am, you know, doing a lot of work for Golf Channel. I'm, uh, I'll be a uh, lead analyst. Uh, next week, actually, at the Western Intercollegiate at Posse Campo. Um, and then I'm doing a, a lot of PJ Tour work, some uh, PJ Tour champions work for Golf Channel. Um, and then I'll be doing the NCAAs at the end of May, 1st of June, uh, on Golf Channel. Then, uh, of course, I still do some work with Craig Can, uh, on Sirius XM, uh, PJ Tour Radio on Tuesday evening. Um, you can always tune into that. I, I, I sit for a segment or two and then, um, Twitter, you can get, catch me at, uh, John Cook Golf. And then, uh, on, uh, Instagram, it's, uh, John, uh, JN Cook OSU. Of course, gotta throw the OSU in there. Absolutely. Um, so you can follow me on that as well. <laughs> John, fun. it's always a thrill having you as part of the show. I can't thank you enough. You're fantastic, my friend. I hope we get the privilege of catching up with you again soon. For you, Chris, anytime, just give me a call. I'm always available. I appreciate you very much, Cookie. Take care, my friend. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up soon. I appreciate it. You too. You as well. Thank you. Thanks, John. That's a great John Cook. 
John Cook Golf on uh, on Twitter and John Cook OSU on uh, on uh, Instagram. What a wonderful man! That you know when I uh, have the privilege of talking to somebody like John, and uh, we spend and this is the fourth time he has uh, been gracious enough to come on the show. I'm always left thinking that very thought. What a wonderful human being John Cook is, and uh, as great as his uh, career was on the regular tour and the Champions Tour and and doing Sir- Sirius XM Radio and on the Golf Channel, he's just a 10 times better person than he was a golf player, and he was a great golf player. And uh, and he's made the transition over to being a, a wonderful analyst and broadcaster as well. But a finer human being, you will not find. And I can't thank him enough for being gracious with his time tonight and uh, coming back as, and uh, being a part of the show. And I always look for I'm already looking forward to time number five. That's the bottom line. 